Welcome to We Only Talk Hockey. I'm Shane, and co-host is Mike. Um, there's a couple things that happened this week. Not a super full week, but one of the big things was Monday night, the whole um, clash uh, between New the New York Rangers and the Capitals, uh, especially the Tom Wilson deal. Um, I'll ask you for your opinion in a sec, but first my thoughts on it are Obviously, there was a, a bit of a line that was crossed. Obviously, that's not really a questionable thing. But my thought process is, first of all, Buchnevich, who was the initial person next to the goal crease who Tom Wilson threw the first punch at. And it was, it was a little much, but also he did kick Vanacek in the face a second earlier which is a thing no one seems to be pointing out on the review is that when he was on the ground, he threw his leg out at Vanacek's head. So there's that. The Panarin thing um, was a little much, but honestly, that's because he got two guys grabbed him from the back. And at that point it's okay. I'm fighting kind of thing. And I get it. He got the penalties. He got the 10 minute misconduct and he got the four minute roughing for punching Buchnevich. But what I think is honestly a disgrace to hockey is the Rangers response to him getting the maximum fine and not being suspended. And they point out his previous suspensions. Well, first of all, the one earlier in the year was complete horseshit. Um, but no. So I, I just think that takes away the respect of the game because yeah. Okay. Panarin got hurt. It, it happens all the time in fights. It happens. I wish him all the best, you know, but to come out with stuff like that saying fire the head of the NFLPA and the, and the player safety association and everything like that. It's, it, it screams of bitterness and sort like poor sportsmanship and, and like they lost, they got beat in the game after that. And when they were leading at that point and they're bitter about it is what it is, what it seems like to me. So, I mean, I kind of disagree with everything there. I mean, it's, it's, I, I guess I'll start with, I mean, yeah, but we saw, we saw the video, we saw like the video evidence of what happened there. And those who watched the entire game know that it's, it's, it's chippy game. And I'm not going to get into how Tom Wilson is a, blue collar chippy type player that like you want like everyone always talks about you want them on your team you want this type of player on your team i'm not gonna get into that i'm not gonna get into where i where the previous the track record they don't look the nhl said they don't look at track records when it comes to the suspensions they look at the individual play the individual incident and the the on the ultimate the 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 underlying part is when the helmet is off, you don't throw someone, you don't pull someone by the hair and throw them to the ice. You don't throw someone's there. Could have, it could have been much worse than it actually was. It could have been serious injuries. Panarin's out for the season. It could have been much worse than that. And like the un underlying concept of fighting is questionable in the NHL already. And the, this with, with Tom, Wil Tom Wilson doing this, it really, the, the suspend, the not being, not being suspended, being fined $5,000 in the context. Yeah. It's a slap on the wrist, but 
there needs to be a bigger, there needs to actually be a suspension. We, I think the case in point for me is that this past um, tonight, I was watching part of the Penguins uh, Flyers game and there's no, there's no responsibility or accountability for someone who basically when a fight happens, the message is anything is on the table. Pretty much if you can throw someone to the, throw someone to the, to the ice, if you can, uh, continue continuously punch someone by all means, you could, you, you, like you, you do it. If a suspension is not on the table, if not possible. And I mean, I under, I, I understand they don't want to potentially suspend him in the playoffs are right around the corner. They don't want to suspend him for that, but the, and I, he probably was thinking maybe he was uh, thinking he was going after Pavel Buchnevich and then he saw his parent. The helmet was off. He yanked him by the hair. He threw him to the ice. And Panarin's out for the season. Panarin's not playing. And Tom Wilson is. There, I would have at least given him a few games of, like, finish off the regular season. That's, like, that's where I stand on this. It's, it's, one, of those, it's one of those things where it's, like, people are, like, I, the, the question is, oh, well, this is what happens in the NHL. Fights happen then the counter should be why do fight why should fights be happening then why are we allowing this to begin with and and it's just it's just an overall it's a mess and i don't the the rangers being the rangers being salty maybe or bitter that i i say you shouldn't that shouldn't necessarily happen the nhl came to their decision but there there's a reason why there there's good reason for not just the nhl not just the NHL fans out there to be frustrated with this decision, but the NHL players within within the league who probably will play the Capitals again. I think the Rangers play the Capitals, and in that, if you're Tom Wilson in that game, like I, if I were the if I were Peter Laviolette, I would not play Tom Wilson because he's got to keep his head on a swivel for that game because they're gonna they're gonna because the Rangers are gonna come after him. And they're they're gonna try. There, it's gonna be. It could be become very ugly game, because of because their star player, even if it's a lost season, was basically taken out for the game. Could have been worse. So I mean, it's just, it's a lot to get. It's a lot to like digest. It's a, a lot to go through. But like, I thought more should have been done. And that's where I stand on this. Basically, right. just a couple things. One, he did not grab him by the hair he grabbed him by the around the chest and pulled him down his the helmet was off yes you can say something about that but the one thing that i disagree with the most of what you said honestly is your comment about fighting in general um that's hockey and that's always been hockey and i think it will always be hockey and i think it should be hockey obviously you go too far there are things 10 minute mis um game misconduct this the the reality of that is that never happens. You'll see five minute mis game misconducts and stuff every here and now. This is the first 10 minute game misconduct I've seen in, I think two years. Um, they don't happen. That is a big thing. And it is, and it is whatever. And once you broach that topic of fighting, it leads, to, it's a slippery slope down to getting rid of even the one-on-one -on -one fights, which is a huge part of hockey. And it's one of the biggest reasons people watch hockey. 
I mean, that's the underlying thing that I think is that the NHL knows that there's a big selling point in the idea that we we love we love the fight, we love we love the fighting aspect, but there are this is part of part of part of I guess one of the things that is always questioning is you're allowing fighting in a sport where I mean, which one already rough, but like there's the idea that there isn't that le- that there isn't when things get out of hand the initiate the uh, initiation by the league. And I mean, it's similar, like, I think like about the MLB, how like you think about the MLB where they didn't, where they didn't suspend the Astros, it's a different topic. But the idea is that you come down hard on certain instances just to set the tone for something. I get that. Um, first of all, um, I, I wanted to finish what I was saying before, which was Sorry your about thing. that. Your other thing about, about Panarin being out for the season, they are eliminated from the playoffs as of Monday night. I have a very strong inclination. If they had not been eliminated from the playoffs, he might've missed a game or two because after that, he did come out for a shift. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was a, okay. He might be hurt me or whatever. And I don't think it was even a concussion. They said I, and so I believe it's more of a, I believe they said lower body injury. Yeah. And so that also takes about the head thing. So yeah, he felt he tumbled weird when he was when he was shoved when he was taken to the ground, tackled yeah. essentially. So I think very much it's a the season's already over for us. We have four games left. We're just gonna sit him, you know, as opposed to be like, oh, it'll be a game or two when it's four games left in the season. And I also think it was a way for them to show, oh, he hurt him so much. He's after the league. The other thing you said that I that was very inaccurate was the league most certainly takes past instances into account that is one of their four criteria for suspending a player um when he was they said they didn't take it into this into the suspension like they when when it in fights in the fight they said they didn't account account when wilson was suspended early in year that was the deciding factor they literally said in their breakdown of it, they were like, yeah. all of these things could be considered as accidental, which they were. The dude turned, he came in, he was coming in at his back and he turned and his head was lowered and his oh. arm rolled up. But because of his history, we're giving him a seven game suspension, which is also maybe, I don't think so, a possible reason we didn't suspend him now was because outside of oh. Boston, most people felt that any other player in the league pretty much would not have been uh, suspended and even if they were definitely not seven games and so um, I think that's a big thing I think in, in, I, I don't this might just be a general disagreement on how hockey is but mm-hmm. it's not baseball that's the thing you mentioned it. it's not baseball it's not a sport without contact it's not football where it's a very literally you line up at the line it's a play it's a whatever it is a free-flowing physical intended to be a very physical game and if you take fighting out of it even even the scrums around the net or whatever they sometimes get out of hand it happens but if you take that out of the game for me and i know a lot of other people who watch hockey it ceases to become hockey it becomes something else um it becomes a game that is very very different and it becomes almost a skills competition like an all-star skills competition and that's not what hockey is would you if you i would say if you took out hitting like checking someone then yeah you're basically it's skills but i i guess i really 
I'm really curious then about so no so the one of the things that I read about in today uh today and they for the about Tom Wilson suspend, uh, they didn't suspend him. The part of it. So one of the things that was interesting is that they, for hits, they actually were che- they would check past history. For fights, they actually don't check, and they classified the whole scrum as a fight. One one of the things that I find interesting is I would I guess I'll ask this uh, before we move on because I think this is like our main topic. Uh, is if this happened in February. Would there be a do you think there would be a suspension or do you think it would be? I think the time I think the time of the year has absolutely zero effect. I know you mentioned that I forgot to hit that. I think it has literally zero effect, and I'll tell you why. One, because it happens all the time. Players getting suspended in the last few games of the year when they're fighting to get in the playoffs or get a better position, teams get more towards that playoff physicality, and so you see more ingressions here and there, and they do it all the time. And so I think the, I think the addressing of, uh, of that topic, I think is no, but one last thing, I think I, we have other things to get to, but yeah. um, is you mentioned the Penguins flyers tonight. It was, if you look at it, if you literally get rid of everybody else in the entire equation in the Capitals game, except for Wilson and Panarin, the Buchnevich thing was, it was, it was a single punch and everyone's making it out to be like, it was a big punch. It really wasn't, but that was retaliatory for kicking uh, Vanacek. That's, that's what it is. You know, the Panarin thing though, a lot of people are thinking it's worse. First of all, cause it's uh, Wilson. Cause no one's calling for Crosby's head after tonight. And the other, let me, let me finish. The other thing is that it's because it was in a scrum. Some people are more aggravated by it with the Crosby thing. It was essentially two people. And so it looked more like the regular fight, which those the tackled to the ground during the regular fight after punches have been thrown is literally an always thing. So my thing is, I don't even know if he deserved the 10 minute game misconduct because You see that kind of thing happen all the time. I think really what the penalty came from was not the toss to the ground. It came from after he was on the ground and the refs were on top of him essentially saying, leave it alone. He grabbed the back of his jersey and like pushed him down to the ground two more times. I think that's where the 10 minute game misconduct came in because the tackling happens all the time. And it's just a bigger dude and a smaller dude. So it looked worse, but you see it all the time at the end of every single fight. That's what determines the end of the fight. That's also why I got the penalty because he kept going a little after that. Um, And he, and so with Crosby, no one's calling for his head because it's two guys and it looks more normal to what you're used to seeing towards the end of fights and things. Um, And so I think that's a big thing of it. And I think there are a lot of people um, overreacting because of the entire circumstances of it, who he is. He's a very big physical player. So when anything happens around him, there's a big chunk of people who are like pitchforks and torches kind of thing. And as you mentioned at the top, everyone would want him, but that's not even important in this. I think it's, I think it's, I think the totality of the circumstances made it seem a little worse then I think it really did. The sequences where it didn't just, it wasn't just one thing. It was a series of events. And that was, but I, on the note with the, with the Crosby thing for tonight is that I, I think players or players see fighting as just not only just part of the game, but like 
it's a thing that you can that wh- when you get into a fight, there's more on the table. Yeah. And momentum. It's a huge thing. That's another thing. Taking it out of the game. That's a big way for usually late in games. That's why usually you would see a 10 game misconduct be the end of the game for a player. But when games are close and their a team is down, they initiate, they sometimes initiate a little more of those scrums to build momentum and build I mean, energy. It, it, it's it's a part of the game. I mean, you if you look at 10 years ago. There was literally a you would have a shift or a line that was your fighting line, which would basically essentially try to change the pace of the game just by getting getting into it, getting a star, hitting him, and just starting a fight, just starting uh starting chaos. I I just there's there part of it is the controlled violence where it's it's where like with any sport, football, anything is the controlled where it's where you're allowed to do a certain amount but you can't you have to stop at a certain point and that's where and that's i think that's also what puts it over over the top is uh in this situation i mean it's the only i don't don't disagree with that let me let me just point that out i know we've disagreed on a bunch of i don't disagree with that there is a point and i think he crossed it but i don't think he crossed it to a level of suspension he crossed it, and I think the only point at which he crossed that was once Panarin was on the ground and the two line judges, which is weird. Normally, it's the refs who pull apart fights, but the line judges who were standing there, and he decided to essentially – it's kind of hard to tell if he lifted him back up before thrusting him in the ground or he was Panarin was just getting up to his knees and he shoved him back down a couple times. That's over the line. The rules essentially are once a guy's down and the fight is dwindling down, if it was the middle of the fight, it'd be one thing, but the fight was starting to dwindle down, I think was one thing that, that he deserved a big penalty. And he got the biggest penalty in the game. The other thing that I do think he did wrong, even though fans of the Capitals loved it, was when he was in the penalty box, taking off his jersey and essentially strongman flexing, staring at the Rangers bench. People love that, but I think... That given I mean, the, given the yeah, circumstance, wrong, not the time, and the fight, place, man. Yeah, a normal fight that'd be one thing, and I'd yeah. be like, if you want a normal fight, it'd be cool. But given the circumstances, I think that was a little bit of a boneheaded, you know, hot-headed, boneheaded move. Yeah. But I think he was punished. I think had he thrown another punch or two when he was on the ground, as opposed to just shoving him into the ground a couple times, maybe I would say a game or two suspension. I, I would get that kind of thing, but given the circumstances, I think he went over the line and he got the biggest penalty for it, but I don't think it rose to the level of suspension. Um, I guess like my last, re- my last thought really about this, I'm sorry if I'm no, uh, go ahead. Finish, is I'm genuinely concerned what could happen in the next, the, they, the two teams meet, I think tomorrow night, genuinely Wednesday it's, concerning, night, yeah. it's concerning what can happen in the game. Like, not, I mean, Tom Wilson. It's it's the the cap. The Rangers might go after Tom Wilson in this game. It would it, it it would be interesting to see what they would do, how they would approach that. Tom Wilson is going to keep his head on a swivel the entire game. But the the Rangers might just try to go after someone who maybe someone who who's on the second line or on on the on a line that Wilson's not on. Just try to try to go after them to say like, we're, we're, we're going to try to not like a person for a person, but like try to respond to, to what happened in the first game. 
hundred percent. And I'm excited for it. And I, I think that's where our difference comes in there is I don't want to see, I don't, I don't want to see a star uh, capital get injured. I'll just say that. Obviously. But the thing is that's, and that's why a lot of people talk about what, when people, talk, they always talk about towards the end of the season, oh, it's starting all season this season because of the repeated number of times you've played a team is that playoff hockey atmosphere. Sorry. I was quoting that. Um, the playoff hockey atmosphere, that's what it is. You see it in the playoffs every day, a guy gets hurt or is physical or whatever, a big hit, some take a personally, whatever. And then they come back the next game and it's more physical here and more physical there. And it's big, fun, hitting, exciting. Um, yeah. Tom Wilson might be a target a little bit. Also he's Tom Wilson. So I think I might agree with you where it might be a little bit more of a, I'm going to leave you alone. You picked up two guys on your back yesterday. So I'm going to go after Garnet. If the Capitals had, if the Rangers had a Zidane Chara, then they would be fine. But ironically, he's on the, uh, on the Capitals. <laughs> uh, I think one player, I guess, I guess shifting gears, one player the Rangers won't go after is Evgeny Kuznetsov. He's not going to be playing. I, uh, I don't, I don't know if you heard that. Um, he didn't play Wednesday. Um, Monday. I apologize. He didn't play Monday. He missed a team function. It was a team thing. Oh yeah, that's right. He's on the COVID list. Sorry. Well, and then, and then yes, he was put on the COVID list today, but originally he was not spent. He was not like sat out by the league. He was sat out by the team. It was apparently they sat him out for missing a team function. And since he was sat out as a sourpuss, he went and did something against COVID regulations. From what I've heard, they're two separate events. It was the mm-hmm. event that he missed the team function, but did not break COVID protocol. And then because he was, uh, because he was sat out by the team, he was whatever. And this actually kind of smoothly leads into one of the other things I wanted to talk about was, and this has come out in the last couple hours, is yeah. the team is done. Uh, the the front office the coach, everyone is just done with him. They they are at the point he's, where he's they're like, to like a healthy scratch, I believe, almost where he's well, been like, well, oh. he essentially was a healthy stretch on Monday. Now mm-hmm. he is on the protocol list, um, but the team is uh, it has come out in droves from many different reporters with different sources that essentially come get him if you want him at the end of the season, um, which honestly, this is something I was predicting back in. A couple weeks ago by the trade deadline, I thought they were going to move him because I thought they were already done with him. I I had seen things about their, their boiling point, but apparently their boiling point was higher with Verona at that moment than it was with Kuznetsov. So I think they're going to, I a hundred percent think they're going to move him. He's still a good player, but just for the team, it's been a couple last year since the cup, essentially after the cup, uh, yeah. he during the partying, he got addicted to cocaine, uh, got banned I from mean, the IIA on the ice. On the ice, it's almost like he's a liability to the line that he plays on, whatever at this line. point. At this point, yes, he has become first of all because of his repeated absences, yeah, it, it hinders continuity, and that is a huge thing that is always underestimated. Is when teams shuffle too much too often, it's hard to build a rhythm. That's what that's what you see with a lot of inconsistent teams. Teams that are like, oh, we're great now, but then you change my line and takes me a little while to get back into it kind of thing. Because every player plays different, so you have to play different with every single player. And so yeah. I, I do. I think they have enough young uh, centers in the pipeline. They've got two yeah. that could play next year. 
Also uh, the fourth line, you look at the third and fourth line, the way they've played, it's very understand. I think it's very rational, like understandable to see one of those players play on the top line with Ovechkin, Tom Wilson uh, in the next, in the next year. Even I could sooner. see it, but that fourth line is the only line of the Capitals that has not been changed since January. Um, They're going to keep that. I mean, yeah. for this year, maybe next year you're thinking like that. <laughs> Maybe, but I think what I see is what I see happening is essentially either Connor McMichael or I believe it's Protoss. I, I forget the other center who will be ready by next year, especially um, Connor McMichael getting the early year of AHL play, getting to play there this year as opposed to having to wait till next year. Um, so I think they feel confident enough in their center depth and their ability to bring players up in the center that they're going to be like, okay, we uh, we'll take a couple picks for him. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. I think you mentioned Jacob, uh, Jacob Verona getting traded, not Kuznetsov. It's possible. They wanted to deal him to the, to Detroit for Anthony Manta, but Steven Eisenman was like, I'd rather have Jacob Verona. And I think you look at Jacob Verona, the way he's played with Detroit, it really works with what they want to do and get you getting younger, but having Verona stay around is like, Make an experienced score, and I think Verona, Verona is younger. He's not old. He's twenty. Yeah. He's twenty five. He's younger than Mantha. But I do. I don't necessarily. I don't see that because I agree with you. The way they play, the Capitals, mm-hmm. for some reason, Lavillette wants to only be big. It's just his thing. He only wants to be big. He doesn't want speed. It's weird. It just is what it is. Vrana was a speed-based player. That was his play, was being able to beat everyone on the ice. Because that's all it's not. Is he, he's not like, he doesn't play big, does he really? He doesn't really play big, but he's not. It's odd. But yes, he doesn't really play big as much. But one of the reasons I said I saw the the kuznetsov thing i thought originally was because the play the way the play was was essentially he was never starting kuznetsov in the Mm. defensive zone he would only put the line out which hindered ovechkin which led to smaller numbers in comparison um on that line and so that's the thing i think ovech uh, i think um kuznetsov I think Kuznetsov will be traded at the end of the year. He's got a big contract, but he's still a good player, and it's four years. They do it is a four-year contract, so I could see him be traded to a lower-level team who needs a center and has the cap space. Um, it is interesting. I think we'll get into that of which team could be uh, a good fit later. Uh, yeah, because well, I mean, we'll get to the we'll get to some bad teams in a second, but I guess still on that note is. Uh, just the rest of like the way the Capitals are playing is kind of interesting to think about how they're playing in the context of the East division, which I think they played the Penguins over the weekend. They lost both games, both close. I mean, I guess you could say close games. I mean, the first one was a great game. Uh, first one was close. Second one, not so much, but yeah. you have to take into account the litany of players that were not there. Yeah. Ovechkin. I Ovechkin mean, wasn't there. The Their table. power play since Ovechkin has been out has gotten one goal. It has. It, it was is, like twenty six percent. It was. It was Oshie's. It was Oshie's one goal, and Oshie's been out now. Oshie was out in the Ranger game, um, so there have been a lot of people out. Uh, Carlson was out in the Peng- second Penguins game. So the first Penguins game, it was just pretty much Ovechkin, a couple other guys, and then with the second one, Carlson was also out. 
So their power play was really gone. Essentially at that point, you're playing players who never play on the power play. Um, they do have depth. Yeah. So they like, they beat, they were able to beat the Rangers. It is. Know? And that's what I'm thinking about is that the Capitals losing to the Penguins and really just the way the teams in the East are basically shaping up. Does it really, does it matter that they lost at this point? And I guess really like this, does the seating matter for you? Like, I think there is some home ice factor, not as much as usual years, uh, but there is a little bit of that home ice advantage. But if you're the Capitals, for example, and you get the two seed, does it matter whether you play the Bruins or the Islanders? Or does it matter if the Penguins play the uh, Bruins or the Islanders? And likewise, with any of those four teams, whatever matchups you really get. And that's what I'm starting to think about. So in the first round, I don't think it has a huge advantage disadvantage because either way the second seed you'd be playing whichever team the islanders or bruins at home you'd have the home field advantage the home ice advantage i do think that's a huge thing against the islanders though um the islanders currently in fourth um and so they've been a mess right now they lost back-to-back games against the sabers so yeah so i think if if what ends up happening, let's say this scenario, Washington plays Boston at the two and three penguins play the Islanders at the one and four, the Islanders beat the penguins, which we've seen them have that capability this year. Well, they have lost six games. I think of the eight against the, the penguins, but I, then I have a, I'm having trouble, especially with the way this year's working. I don't know if the Capitals would still then have home uh, home ice advantage in the next round because they're the two, the Islanders, the four. They would. Yeah, they would. Okay. So that I don't see as the big issue. If by some miracle mm-hmm. the Islanders come to first place, which is theoretically possible. It might it, be more likely the Bruins would be able to because I think the Bruins have games to spare, if that makes sense. So, So here's the big thing, though. The Capitals are down two points to Pittsburgh with two games in hand now, um, which I do think is a big deal. Um, The Bruins have the same games played as Washington and Washington's up by three and they're up on New York by four with a game in hand on New York. So it's not super likely they have three games left. But if they won all those three and the Capitals lost whatever and Bruins, if something weird happened, so the way it's shaping up now, I don't have much, I don't see there being much big thing to it. But when when it was the Islanders and Capitals at the top before they played each other, then I would have said it was a big thing because, and with Pittsburgh, I do think with Pittsburgh, I think it is a little understated because of the fact that they lost both games this weekend at home, but they had won the previous two at home. And I think, and four out of Pittsburgh's five wins okay. up till that point had been in overtime. And one of them was over the weekend. It was an overtime win. And that was without Ovechkin power play sucked ass. And so they, mm. so I, I think they could have won that game either way. You don't know what happens when a player is out. You can't, really speculate about it but i definitely think that second game where it was uh carlson out ovechkin out oh it was a whole big mess 
you saw and you saw a different goalie in that. Um, I think I think though with that in mind is that I really think what matters more is just which teams you really because I think both every every team of those four teams they've all been streaky they've all won they've all they've all their winning stretches they've all their is really just matchups in the sense like which team do you want would you rather play individually like if you're the if you're the Penguins you want to play the Islanders over the Bruins I think if in the first round um. Currently, yes. Most of the season, no. So we don't know what happened in the last week or so. But currently, I would say yes. But my thing is, so just to quickly finish up that home field thing, the Islanders yeah. Capital Series, the home field was a huge thing. Those last couple games, it swung Washington's favor. Well, they swept the three. But yeah. yeah, and that swung to Washington's favor. But they very much you could see the difference in play throughout the games Yeah, at they, it was very different on home ice and the capitals are a bit of a different team on home ice. Their power play is significantly better. Now it's a little more even, but for a good majority of the season, it was something like 45% to like 10%. It was on the power play for most of the season. It was really lopsided. It has evened out, uh, mostly but their power play is definitely better at home their shorthand their uh power uh, penalty kill is pretty good um that honestly is where i think they would have an a the capitals would prefer to play a team like boston or pittsburgh to the also, islanders even though they also, swept the islanders i also think i mean if they they played the islanders in the first round those homes those home games matter but also the the ability I mean, you talk about the power play. The, the the difference, I think one of the big things, this is really where I think with pe- the Penguins, is the Islanders' defense is best in their zone and best in their defensive zone. They're not good on odd man rush, as good on odd man rushes. That's a nightmare when they play the Penguins. I, the Capitals establishing the zone is one thing. I think you'd rather, you'd rather play, in, in that sense, you'd rather play the Bruins at the same time the, the Islanders cannot score right now. Their offense has been hapless. Yeah, it and, has. That's the and, thing. And watching, if when you watch those last three games that they played against the Capitals, you watch how they could not establish and they could not establish a presence in the offensive zone against the Capitals. The Capitals kept eliminating the Islanders basically at the blue line with whether it was Chara, whether it was Justin Schultz, whoever it was, just eliminating the Islanders' offense. And it's been it's been bad. Yeah. I two of those I three think, games, two of those three games were one nothing games. Yeah. And that's the thing. The Islanders defense is very good. But, but right do, now but they can't pl- score. You'd rather play that team. You'd rather win sweat out one nothing games, but you know you could win those games than I think play the Bruins who aren't necessarily as good defensively in in the zone. I think they have the speed on defense like Charlie McAvoy's a great skate skater uh they're getting back Brandon Carlo now you just look at you look at how they play uh I think in the neutral zone they're a better team defensively but regardless even if you can score on that on the Bruins defense and Tuka Rask and net what a, that's a different part you don't you don't want to play against a team that can match you uh, scoring wise, especially when you talk about the Bruins top line, you talk about the Bruins who have recently found scoring in the later lines with Nick Ritchie, uh, Taylor Hall. You just look at 
you don't really want to face that, I think. And that's kind of like, that's kind of like my overall impression on these seeds is it doesn't really matter except for it ma- it will matter if you get the right opponents. And I think that's what everyone's kind of rooting for in these final few games left in the season. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. Right now, the season series with Boston is three, four, I think. Washington three wins, Boston four wins, I think is what the current makeup is. It might be four, three, the other way, either way, it's four, three. And this final game, even if one team, even if the team that is four wins, it's still five, three, and they've been very, well, let me put it this way. They haven't been close. It's essentially been lopsided games or close to lopsided. Mm -hmm. Some of the scores look upsided, like a six, three game or a five, three game could very a five, three game could very well actually have been a four, three game that ends with a uh, empty net. Um, So, but a lot of these games have been big blowouts one way or the other. The Capitals won one, eight, one Bruins won one, like six, one it's, it's these big um, shifts in it. And that is why I agree with you with the Islanders, you know, more what you're going to get in that series going to be pretty much mostly consistent low scoring tight fought defensive based games and you know you have the better offense you know for a fact you have the better offense while boston it's any given night and it hasn't been home boston i think over the course of the season has been figuring themselves out in that sense where they they, where they got hall at the deadline and they got uh what's the name they got they got taylor hall at the trade deadline they got Kurt, uh, Curtis Lazar. They 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 also were a different. They were struggling at one at one point in the season. They were struggling in the, I believe in March where they were the fourth. They were actually the fourth or fifth place team in the in the East Division, and they're they're the type of team that what's the name? They're. They're the type of team that is getting better at the right time. They're the team that well, ever since the trade deadline, and they're a different team now. There is, and that's really with every team in general. Is there a, they're a different team, and that's kind of like, and that's kind of where I stand on this. With the matchups matter, uh, I guess, I guess, like let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, are, are you, are you ready for um, that? Yeah. Sorry, just one last touch on that. Okay. Is. Um, if they were to play the Bruins, the home field doesn't seem to matter as much. While the Islanders, you know, you have that advantage. The Bruins, it's been real. There's been no pattern to who plays better on home ice in those games. And that's another reason I do believe Washington prefers the Islanders Islanders. in in whatever orders, if it's two, three or one, four, they prefer the Islanders, I think. Um, now in the second round, who they would prefer if they get the Islanders and win Boston or Pittsburgh. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. And honestly, I'm a little concerned for Washington, given all their injuries, you would, they were fit. They were finishing strong and then these injuries popped up and it's been a little mad. It's not just them. It's the, it's that the Penguins could be the one seed and they would not want, they would play Pittsburgh. They would not want to play any of these opponents but then if they advance they don't want to play the capitals and that and i I think they actually they could fare well again 
this is very interesting when you watch the Penguins that they could fare well against any team, but the team, I guess that oddly they, they, they play well against historically, they don't want to play. They probably wouldn't want to play in the playoffs. So I guess, I guess let's, let's kind of shift to our second, I guess our secondary topic. There's a few uh, things, I guess let's, let's first kind of focus on the, uh, milestone which we're keeping track of is yeah mcdavid is seven points away seven did he get more tonight he got two assists tonight oh i didn't see that he's seven i we're i was keeping track as i was writing the scripts i'm like trying to keep track like oh my god he's he's getting assists let's move that in i joked about this three weeks ago i joked two weeks ago last week i was like he's at 80 (laughs) and and now it's like he's gonna get it yeah, I think he was at eighty-one or eighty-three or something. Yeah. He got and there was one night where he got like five, I think. It's the other night he got two goals and two assists. Yeah, and he's at ninety-three. He's seven away, five games to go, and now the conversation has just changed so much since we last talked. I think the first thing is one, it's awesome. Just it's awesome. It's to awesome. Watch. It's awesome, and especially this shortened season, it is awesome to watch. He's such a fun player to watch. And I want to wa- I want him to succeed in the playoffs because he yeah. was doomed with getting drafted by an absolute, I would say Terrible. the ho- the hockey equivalent of the New York Jets. Um, when he was ta- when he was taken by them, it, he got to the playoffs. I think it was that first year or that second year. They lost horribly in the playoffs, but he elevated that team so far, and then but the just team wasn't strong enough around him even remotely to this is their year. Like they invested in a very good team. I think it's interesting that like you mentioned all this and all the hockey friends I talked to say the exact same stuff. Everyone's rooting in the same way that everyone was rooting for Ovechkin when he won the cup. Everyone's rooting for McDavid aside from the teams that they personally root for. Everyone's rooting for McDavid to do well in the playoffs to compete for the cup, potentially win the cup. And that's the thing. I don't even necessarily say it's the win the cup. It's because of the team. And they were really up and down when McDavid mm-hmm. first got there one year, they were in the playoffs. the next year they were like the bottom three or whatever. And then they got Eichel and they balanced well, out a little Dreisaitl. bit. Dry saddle. I am yeah. sorry. That's <laughs> Buffalo. Those couple of years, those players picks, whatever. Yeah. Uh, dry sidle it evened out a little bit because it wasn't literally all on one man's shoulders, which it was for the first couple of years. But like, I don't necessarily need him to win. I want them to be actually competitive. I want them to win a series. I want them to maybe make it out of that, that division. I, and from there it's whatever. It'd be really cool if he won, but I want to see a future going forward of being able to progress further and further. He might not get it right away, but I don't want him just getting was, swept in the first round like he has. It was unfortunate last year that they played in the in the hub city in Edmonton, ironically, and just got blown blown the doors off against against Chicago. Chicago just came in and took them out in four games, basically. Uh, I mean, the, on the 100 point note, the milestone is that a week ago I we kind of asked like is this po- is this like do, do you think it's yes or no now it's more like it feels inevitable he'll clear 100 unless he really hits a slump he hits a massive slump in yeah, in one of these it's games it's four games seven points for this man that's nothing i could or i could see five, him, five games five actually. games i could see him hitting it with two to three games left i could see him hitting it in the next couple of days 
um, just the way he's played this year. Even more interestingly, I think three of those games came come against Vancouver and two against Montreal. Those are teams you could kind of you could see one game where the Oilers run up the score and McDavid gets possibly a hat trick or five point game, and you and you see you see the you see him just cleared on that one of those games right there. I, I said a couple weeks ago. Almost four weeks ago at this point, I said, well, when we started this, I thought it was going to be McDavid at the MVP spot. But then a couple weeks ago, I was like, okay, it's pretty much done. And then the last couple weeks have really cemented that fact. The the, the discussion is over. It's, it's, it's McDavid. Yeah. He's the MVP. No one even needs to watch to find out. We know who it's going to be. Uh, like usually the only other time I can remember where there wasn't at least one other guy in the conversation was when Nikita Kucherov won it with the 130 points or whatever it was. Yeah. And this season is better than that. Yeah. He's only going to clear a hundred by a couple points maybe, but 20, 30 something less games, you know, 24 less games. It was so funny. I think the NHL, one of the PR NHL things on social media posted they're having they're keeping a tracker on austin matthews clearing the 40 goal mark and i was like and i think i commented saying like oh that's gonna be a milestone that by default has to give you the heart trophy right 40 goals in a 56 game nope. season <laughs> it's like nope. mcdavid mcdavid is just it's just so it's a it's a great it's even austin matthews having a career year it's not even a conversation to say who the MVP, who the best yeah. player, who you start your team with, all the any possible angle to approach the Hart Trophy, it's McDavid. That that's the other thing, and I think this, um, and that's a, that point that you pointed out about start your team with, and I think that's a huge thing when it comes to the MVP discussion. And a lot of other, and that's one place where I do think it, the NHL is better with it than almost any other sport. The NBA, the MVP is literally just best story of the year. Uh, that's what the MVP in the NBA has become. In the NFL, it's become best statistical year. Um, well, best player on a top team, I guess you could say. It yeah, is. yeah. The best statistical year of a player in a top four team is essentially what it yeah. boils down to in the NFL. In the NHL, yes, he's going to have a, 100 points. And yes, that's a great statistical year. But I think it's also a matter of watching those games, watching him play, there's no doubt in pretty much anyone's mind that he is the best player on the ice. If you're starting a franchise, give me McDavid. I don't yeah. care. I give think me there, McDavid. There is a little bit of that uh, idea of um, you could say like there is a little bit of this voter fatigue sometimes. Like Dreisaitl winning it last year, you can maybe say, or even in other awards, like especially – it used to be the Norris Trophy. I think four P, four four defensemen won the Norris Trophy over the course of like thirty years. Yeah, Something it has crazy. been. It has so, been. It's been like four different guys, which is ridiculous. Recently, the Norris Trophy's rotated among players. It's it same with the Vesna Trophy. It's kind of rotated around to certain players. But the Hart Trophy, there's no, there's there's no other player. It's 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 clear. It's almost like he's won the Lifetime Achievement Award at this point. It's no. It's, I think I get what you're trying to say that there's no other player where it's while the others it's oh the Norris trophy at the beginning of the year, you say it's going to be one of these two or three guys. Uh, yes. You can say that um, it's going to be, it could be anyone, anyone could surprise us, but it's usually these guys, but like with the Norris trophy, you, the heart trophy, usually 
with the exception of McDavid, it's always cool. It's a pretty much a different guy every year. Like even when Crosby was doing his best, he did not win the Hart Trophy year after year. Neither did Ovechkin. And they were at their prime in the whatever, were the two best undecided players of the year. And you still couldn't say, oh, it's going to be one of them too. While now it's essentially McDavid and who else has a really, really, really think, good year that maybe we give it to kind of I think of it was thing. the 80s when like Wayne Gretzky won it every year. But and until finally Mario Lemieux like won it in like '89 or '90 or something like that. Whatever it uh, was, Lemieux but, won a couple, and then it was Lemieux and Gretzky until Gretzky yeah. left or whatever. Yeah, it's it's incredible to like like watch this bio. Like every night, I make sure to like stay up if the Oilers are playing to like watch to watch out that those games to see if he can an empty netter just to bring to run up the score. It's just incredible to watch, and it's gonna be yeah. One thing I want to point out long term, it is going to be great imagining the end of his career and the kind of possibilities that you can imagine with what his career could come to be. Um, it's just the way I think about it is, you know, Ovechkin and Crosby are getting a little older. Yes, the last couple of years, the focus has been a little more so on the younger guys of Mick David and mm-hmm. Kucherov and whatever, but they, those shadows kind of have still been there kind of thing and been in that conversation. But once those guys retire in the next four or five years, whatever it may be, maybe less, maybe more, who knows? I think you'll see a much more heavier presence on him. And I think it will become essentially maybe, I don't know the exact age of McDavid, but he's not old by any means. I think he's like 24, 25, actually. I think he's a, well, maybe he came in really young. Yeah. Um, so maybe 26, I think. I, I don't know exactly. But yeah, I think it could be a decade. I, who knows who comes up, but I think it could be a decade of McDavid as the best player in the league. Maybe the Hart Trophy, because the Hart Trophy is not a thing that just goes necessarily to the best, who everyone knows is the best player. If there's a guy who has a really big year and they happen, you know, you had in Kucherov, who I do think is great, but he's not going to replicate that year or dry last year was great. I think it's going to, could we could see like a good five to seven years, 10 year span of it's McDavid's league kind I of mean, thing. I, you do mention Crosby Ovechkin. I kind of do wonder how many cups he will end up winning if he wins any. And then like the number that follows with that. Uh, but I guess, I guess, I guess let's shift gears a bit. Uh, I, I feel like we've, we've really, we've taken a, a lot, I guess let's, let's, fo- let's focus before we, cause next week, the playoffs, I think, I think the playoffs are going to start like next week or, or, oh. or because, we- because of the COVID issue. All oh, right. Yeah. March, May the, 16th now. Yeah. The league, it's not even that the league was supposed to end on the 11th or 12th, whatever it was. But now you've got like a whole two week, like a week, two weeks of games um, between that days that'll have a single game. <laughs> you've got well, after, Vancouver, Vancouver has to play a lot of those games, I think. Yeah. So after like after the 13th, you've got you've got the Toronto and Maple Leafs, um, not Toronto, the Maple Leafs and Winnipeg. You have a couple of those games in that division. Yeah. You have a you have a Vancouver, Edmonton and then Vancouver, Calgary. And then, so it's, you have like this weak stretch of pretty much only the that North division, division yeah. um, which 
right now that last game is the 16th and the playoffs will probably start three days after is usually what they do. I mean, the field be... will pretty much be set uh, by next week. If not, like, yeah, we're going to see some shuffling in the north. By so, the by, the middle of next week, we'll know the divisions. Like, even though Vancouver's got to play six times, you're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, like, this is really, like, until the draft comes, this is the last week to really focus on some of the teams that have been bad this season and have done a poor job. Uh, I mean, because then the draft comes, we get to see, like, who gets number one pick, and that's going to be, like... And Seattle and all of the... <laughs> yeah, it's going to be all that stuff that's just going to be just uh, uh, interesting to follow. So I guess what I'm wondering is uh, there's really two notes on the bad teams. I guess for starters is which team disappointed had the most disappointing season or which team that you didn't think was going to play poorly this year ended up just falling apart. Everything went wrong. Uh, and I mean, there there's really a few teams that stand out. I'm, I'm going to, I'm thinking of two teams that, disappointed that are kind of not on people's list per se, but uh, I want to hear who you have in mind as like teams that have really just disappointed have underachieved this season. So I'm going to give two and I'm going to give them actually, I think I might give three, but they're a little different. I've got one that is currently sitting at the bottom of the division. When I a hundred percent thought they'd be fighting for a playoff spot. And that would be the Columbus Blue Jackets. They had a they had a down year last year also, but they were a little better. And then this year they seemed like after going like five years in a row of making it to the playoffs, disappointing sometimes, but making it to the playoffs, then they just went downhill last year and it just kept going. I thought they were gonna rebound kind of thing because I still thought they had the pieces and they fell off a cliff. So that's one. And then I have two that are a little more mediocre. St. Louis, which is a minor one, I think, to me. We've talked a lot about the Blues, yeah. So I don't think we need to get into that. And then the other one would be, um, honestly, I might say Philadelphia, but honestly, I never bought the hype. I'm saying in general of what most people thought going into the year, they thought, yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the year, the projections for that division was, People were ignoring the Rangers because they were cool. They had a good year. They had a good push at the end. They might be good, you know, getting better, getting better. But everyone, every analyst when doing their four teams that made it had the Flyers. They all had some combination of Pittsburgh, Washington, Boston, or New York missing. None of them seemed to have the Flyers missing. And I thought that was the craziest thing I had ever seen. Um. Because they got hot last year. It wasn't like they were great all year. They got hot last year. The rookie goaltender was playing great and they got hot. I didn't, that's not a formula. Like St. Louis, they have dropped off a little since that one year where they were, went from so, last to first. And so. What's crazy is the Flyers are actually one of the teams on, on the list that I was thinking of is that you look at them last year. A lot of people thought they were a Stanley Cup contender, a team to come out of the East division. I think. I think part of their struggles are obvious. I think we can we can go through each of the struggles, but there is there is good reason to think that Carter Hart was the next young good goaltender. He struggled a lot this year. I think was, he will be, but I think after last year, too much pressure and too many consistent games, especially in this season where games are so stacked and they didn't have another guy they could reliably switch out with the young goaltender. That's one thing with the Capitals. It's good. They have the two. They can move them. 
they didn't have that and they relied on him. They were good early. They were top the division for, I, I think, think, the first month or so. But he that broke. was part of it overworking Carter Hart, which I think that's, was a, That's what was I'm saying. Coaching, I think, I think it was a coaching error. I think it was a team error, coaching error. So I do think he'll rebound next year. I think he will be good. I think he has a very bright future. But you might have to do a bit of damage control over the offseason of building this kid's confidence back up over the offseason and early next season. Because what you did to him this year seems bad. It, it seems like... It could There's really a, affect his career. I think yeah. what's worse about the Carter Hart situation is that the the thing that I think people were concerned about, one of the things that people were concerned about entering the season was the defense, particularly on the back end after Ivan Provorov and Justin Braun, where you look at that in defense and it was like, oh, this could actually be a potential underlying weakness for the Islanders potentially. I mean, for the Flyers, my mistake. They can potentially expose a lot of teams just constantly uh berate, uh firing shots on that and it, that's exactly what happened and that's a big thing they're going to need to address also just restoring the confidence of 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 carter hart i i actually it's very interesting because he did get overworked at the beginning of the season and i'm wondering with that in mind is do you think elaine vignot's job is is that is pretty much done for or moreover between him and john tortorell two team two coaches that i think almost lo- could have lost the locker room at some point. Do you think either of them are in trouble or going to get fired? I would put it this way. We don't know what's going on in Philadelphia because who knows? That's the, the, the working of the goalie is a thing that I can't say falls solely on the coach. That could have been an organizational decision of, oh, he's our young goalie. He did great last year. Cool. He's our starter. 100%. We're going to work him like a workhorse. And the whole organization just missing the, he's a really young kid who wasn't this prodigy that everyone expected to be great coming out. Who's had this confidence or whatever. He was a young kid who I think he was definitely not a first round pick. I think at earliest too, but he, I think he was a little bit of a later round pick. And so this is a kid who had a great year last year. Things went perfectly last year. And I think he has, and still does, but harder, I think it will be to get that potential than it was would have been before, is he has the potential, but I don't want to use this term kitty gloves, but you do have to be cautious about that. It's talked about in the NFL with quarterbacks or with whatever, you, with a young quarterback, you have to be cautious. Well, and I think, I think with the, goalies, the best, it's... The best note for football, for NFL or football players, is that goalies in a way are like kickers where it's a very much a mental game and you have to yes. balance that. Yeah, it, I do. I think it is very much a mental game. And I think from the quarterback side, if you want to compare it, it's very much a confidence game. If a guy yeah. loses confidence, it's sometimes very hard to build that back up. I think maybe just because of the circumstances of the season, it might be a little bit easier to build that confidence back up because, ah, it's a weird year. It's whatever we can move past it. Let's get it. Let's do it. It's whatever. I also, I also think built talking about building confidence. They could just, they can go spend heavy or invest heavily in their defense. And then they could tell Carter Hart, like, listen, like we've got you. Yeah. Yeah, We've got you, but on your terms of coaches. So that's why I'm very uncertain about that. Because I don't know if that was an organizational decision or a head coach decision. If it was a head coach decision and they were like, okay, let's do it. I think he could be in trouble. If it was an organizational decision, I do not think he's in trouble. So, but with Tortorello, 
I don't think he comes back. I yeah. love Tortorello. Honestly, I adore Tortorello. I love his mentality. I love his no bullshit. You know, I'm going to tear you a new one if I don't like what you did. I love it. I love his press conferences. It's unfiltered. Yeah. And sometimes unfiltered could be bad, but it's emotional. It's true to what people feel with hockey. You know, all He's these an old coaches, school coach. Yeah. If all these coaches talk, oh, okay, you know, very prim and proper and whatever. But in a hockey coach, I want to see that that guy cares that they lost. I want to see that that guy cares that the ref fucked up. I want, you know, and so I love John Tortorello. I adore him. I would love if he coached for my team. But I do think in Columbus, his time has come. I do think he will be the top coach uh, on the market next, going into next season. Um, So whoever else gets rid of their head. And I think he has the pedigree to be able to be a bit choosy. That's the thing. It's so interesting. We talk about like old school coaches. Uh, Daryl Sutter is an old school coach. And someone said, I'm you must, he must, he must be players must hate playing for him. Like he just looks like a miserable coach at times. Who Sutter? Uh, Yeah. But like on the note, Tortorella, it's like, I think players see, I don't, there are people who talk about that Tortorella because of his, whatever that they're like, Oh, he might be tough to play for. I don't, I, you've seen him have some issues with some players at times and it happens, you know, um, but I do think he's he's very behind his players. And I think that's where a lot of his emotion, his anger comes from, is because is because he he is behind his players. I do think he's a if you cross me too many times kind of guy, get out of here. But yeah, I, think I think he's very think behind his Dubois players. Saga kind of yeah. like is part of that. Yeah, and- I think he's if you cross me too much, screw you. But I think he's if you're behind him, he's behind you a hundred percent. And I think people love that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you I see I, like a I Peter feel... Laviolette who motivates real quick. And that's why he always has early success, but players wear out of him very quickly. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. I, ju- I, I just, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, it's, I agree. John Torrell's time is done in, in Columbus. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes after it. But I, I like think about, like what the issues are this year and whether it is that he lost the locker room or whether, whether it was the Pierre-Luc Dubois saga or just how the team just doesn't look the same at all. It's just, it just the whole, everything that adds up, you just think that they're going to go in a different direction. They're going to try to potentially bring in a different, more someone more on the Barry Trotz side where you bring in innovate more of an innovator or more of a uh, strategic coach. I, I don't know. I mean, it just, it just like the whole situation. I, yeah, I, I have to agree that John Tortorella is the coach that isn't going to return there. There are obviously there will be other coaches that don't return, but big name kind of guys. That's the thing. There's sometimes you see firings because a guy sucks at coaching. You see it all the time. People don't say it, but it's like, he's a bad coach. I think more Tortorello situation is, the time right has fit. come. Yeah, the time has come. The team's different. It's whatever. At this point, it's maybe if we give him a couple of years, we could reshape things and whatever. But uh, it's just kind of our time to move on. Let's go our separate ways. Let's have our, you know, kind of thing. And yeah, I think in hockey, that's a big thing is coaches don't usually coach there there aren't nearly as many super long term coaches in the NHL just because of how 
quickly the game changes, teams want every once in a while, they're like, okay, we need something new. Our organization needs something new. It's we had a good run, you know, let's part ways. And I think that's more what the, the Tortorello thing is, as opposed to, ah, this was a really bad hiring. Case in point, Pete DeBoer, who uh, the Sharks fired like just uh, like a few months into a a few weeks or a month into a down year, who's now at Vegas, who's been a great coach his entire career. But like they were just like, oh, we need it. We need need a rebuilding coach. But I mean, I don't know. That's just a different note of like what the Sharks are doing. That's another thing. I don't know. Did the coach who was the coach for Vegas before Gerard uh, Gallant? Yeah, Gallant. Did he land anywhere last year? He's still available. There's rumors that Seattle is going to bring him in just because of that that experience. First of all, that's great. The experience with a brand new team, first of all. I was so surprised that he was not a coach last year. I'm not sure why Vegas got rid of him. Maybe they were like, okay, you got us through the beginning. Now we've got, we're going to get this guy because we think for our long term, he's better for what we want to do. Maybe I, I could see that. Also, the established success that DeBoer had. I mean, yeah, he brought, that's he has he's brought teams to Stanley Cups. He's clear. I mean, he's he's an he's an established. I mean, the greatness. Yeah. He's a great coach. Like that's yeah. just hard to deny. So I think it might be that. I think it might be cool. You were great, but now we want to define our team long term, and they didn't want to make that commitment to Gallon, and they saw Dwar uh, out there. Um, but I think Gallant is very good. I think he's very innovative. I think Seattle could get him, but I don't want to see this happen to him again. Like you could see it happen again Him go to Seattle and get them really good, do whatever. I honestly don't believe Seattle will be nearly as good as Vegas. Uh, a lot of things broke. I mean, it's hard, to, it's hard to reach Stanley. Obviously, Cup but that's the one. I don't know if they'll make the playoffs, but because they, their teams hadn't done a, uh, expansion draft in a long time. So no one had in their mind how it was going to work really. And they got fleeced every team in the league, not like so bad that it's like huge, but people are going to be more aware of who to unprotect also. I mean, but, but like, but it wasn't even that. I think it was the trades more. So is where, is where they got. Everyone is they finagled and tweaked the system and about, I think people are going to be more on guard for that with Seattle. About Gallant, though, like joining or, or I forget. We we're talking about head co- about head head coaches, how they fit. Uh, I don't know if they're. I don't know if like is that anything to add on to that. I I'm wondering though with, uh, I guess like we mentioned Columbus, they're one of the bottom. They're they're actually have the worst record in the Central Division, which is kind of. Which I actually kind of think is it's a little hard to fathom that when I checked the yeah. standings one day and saw them in last place in the central division. I'm wondering is are they the team on the bot as a bottom feeder right now as like a seller team that you could see being really good or even great next year? Which or which team do you really see as the uh, team that can go from and not worse to first, but worse to you know uh, competitive, competitive. I guess is the word. So I know this is something I've said the last couple of years and they've burned me on it. They have, they've burned me on it, but I think one of them is New Jersey. I, I think it's a hard year playing all these teams and being in a, what I personally believe is one of the hardest divisions. 
and having to play them eight times. They're a young team. They show a lot of promise and they do appear every year to be getting better. But that's not the team I would truly go with. I don't see I mean, that happening with I'll Columbus. I'll just say, as someone who's watched the Devils so often, they're like in this, in it, it's hard to compare to other sports. They're like the Pittsburgh Pirates in terms of management, where like they rebuild after failed rebuilds. Yes. And they have so, to keep they have to keep rebuilding after a failed rebuild. I I don't I don't I, as much as like I'd like to believe the Devils are going to be there next year. I've seen this script so many. You see it just that, in the past decade. You see that's what I was saying. Um, and you see it's gonna it's not gonna it's not working yet. But here's what out. I could see happening with them. You had New York who got Capo Caco right a couple years ago. Got Capo Caco and didn't look. Yeah. That's my point. Didn't get much better because it's one young guy in a league of experienced guys. But they got younger. They got faster. They Their style of play is almost reminiscent a little bit of the way Pittsburgh plays. And then they got Lafreniere. And it started to come together. They're not quite there yet, but I definitely see them I think being competitive. The irony, though, is that the players that are carrying that team is their defense, ironically. Yeah. But, I mean... But no, like, yeah, I could definitely see them the Devils. starting doing that. I don't see them really being competitive. I definitely don't see them making the playoffs. It can happen. Anything can happen. But I don't see them making the playoffs. But I, I do see something, even more so the than the last there. couple, even more so than the last couple of years. I think if they get a good enough draft pick this year, and I know the draft this year is a lot harder, like the last couple of years we've had, okay, this guy or this guy's going first. I really haven't heard much of that this year. So I don't know if that'll be good or bad, but I do think them getting a good enough pick in that lottery. And it, they, I think they could start something. I definitely don't see them as that like worst to competing the team. I do. I don't think Columbus, I don't really agree on the Columbus because if they get rid of, of, uh, um, wow, Tortorello, uh, if they get rid of Tortorello, I don't see them having that kind of – they have to completely rebuild at that point. And it's a thing, and I think they have a good enough organization at the top to be able to do it, but I think it will take a couple years mm-hmm. if that's what they decide to do. I think – and I know this might shock you, might shock some people. I think Detroit or San Jose – or no, sorry, Detroit or Anaheim. I hear – I definitely – I see. I see Detroit as like the real realistic one, just because of Stephen Eiserman's a guy you could trust, and already this year you see some of the pieces. I actually was thinking on the same note of a team that really has been fully rebuilding, and you talk about accumulating tra- draft picks. I I I think Ottawa Ottawa might be really good next. It's 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 crazy to think because of how bad they have been. They have been. I mean, we talk about well, everyone's talk about the Sabers being the the worst run franchise in the NHL. The Senators have really been an embarrassment to watch over the last five years. But I would say I don't remember exactly when because it's not like something I tracked. There were a couple years where they were in the playoffs. They were the four. Well, the they were the Eastern seed. Conference Final when they had all those they had all those pieces there. I think it's and interesting. then one year they had a down year and they shopped the farm and that shocked me that's why i remember this is because they they had been in the playoffs consistently not necessarily the top team whatever but consistency for four or five years in a row which is an achievement 
And then they had one down year and they shopped everyone and it shocked everyone. And I was like, uh, okay. I mean, they trade, yeah, Carlson was on a, was a pending free agent. They traded him. They traded Matt Duchesne. They traded uh, Mark Stone. They traded Ryan Dezingle. They basically, yeah, they, they, they traded everyone away. I, on the, uh, but with Ottawa now, you look at their team now, they're basically, they really sold out on rebuilding. They have a group of 21, 22 year olds. Tim Stutzlow is 19 years old. They get another, another top pick. And it's very interesting because they actually have won, I think, six of their last eight or eight of their last 10. And when you look at these teams that are at the bottom that are playing out the season, you look at you look at these teams and you're like, oh, does these do these games matter for a team at the bottom like Ottawa to see the promise there? It actually does. Ma- it does matter for them. And I think it's it's very interesting. because I'm going to be intrigued to see how they approach this offseason because they're a team that can actually be surprisingly good next season. So we're running out of time here. Yeah, we are. But, but let me, um, I want to, I want to finish on note. I want to touch on your Ottawa and I want to kind of explain my Anaheim uh, shot there. Um, So Ottawa, I agree. But as you mentioned, the, the way they did it after a single down year tells me it's a, a scared run franchise, not necessarily terribly run, but a, Oh no, we're falling out of the line light. Throw everything at the at the wall and see what sticks kind of thing. And so I'm trepidatious, I would say about Ottawa, but I see what you're saying definitely. Now here's my thing about the Otto, the Anaheim and also the Kings, but I didn't say that because they were in third to the bottom and I was only really looking at two to the bottom. And this yeah. isn't even from the draft. This is their farm systems are the two best in the entire league right now. They're, they're AHL, they're foreign players. Um, they had, they made up, I think, what was it? 57% of the world juniors, uh, the under 18s, I think, or whatever it was gold. They made up like 57. Those two teams made up like 57% of the both teams there. And, one of them has the goalie for who was playing for the U.S., I believe it was. I don't remember if that's the Kings or the Anaheim because this was towards the beginning of the season yeah. and my brain wasn't fully in that watch the prospects mode as much as it is later in the season. Mm-hmm. But one of them has that goalie. They both have older goalies where they'll need that. So whichever team it is. And they have a lot of these young, talented guys in the farm. And I don't know if it'll be next year. Because I don't either know when they're what their ages are, how long they've been. But watching those last couple World Junior games, you see it that was, it was, oh my gosh, these teams will be back in the next three, four years. They will be competing again. The Kings will go back to competing. So will Anaheim. Anaheim hasn't been down for many years. The Kings have been down a little longer since their early 2010s run uh, of several good years. But Anaheim, even though they were also at their peak around that same time, because I think those years the Kings were going to the Cup, it was like Kings and Anaheim in the West Conference every year. The Kings won the Cup in the 2014 season. I think it was the 2014-15, maybe 2013-14. The Ducks reached the the Western Conference Final in 2017, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Anaheim hasn't been down as long, but they also were in their prime when the Kings were. And 
they were like playing each other in the playoffs every year kind of thing. I think the Kings won what two out of three in the early two thousands, but they, so those are well-run franchises that with their talent in the farm system, I have no doubt we will be hearing from them very soon. Yeah. I, I kind of, I kind of agree. I think I'm, I'm leaning more towards the ducks have that, have the pieces there than the Kings. Uh, but Kings have been better this season, but yeah, we'll see. I think, I think the Kings It's very interesting because I think the Kings had those veterans that win you those games. Whereas the ducks just kind of had that young group there that will, that is still developing into a great formula. And, yeah, but I think both teams will be exciting to yeah. watch the development over the next couple of years. I mean, yeah, I agree. It's going to, I mean, I don't think these teams on the bottom are going to be on the bottom uh, of the standings for that long. And, yeah, and that in mind, I guess uh, we, we we spent a, a little bit more time than usual this week. Uh, but a little uh, bit, but I think it was a good show. Yes, we had a few topics that were bigger and longer <laughs> discussed, but sometimes that's good to just deep dive on a couple of things yeah. and really talk some things out. I guess like you have any any closing statements uh, for uh, before we head no, out? Not really. Just that. <laughs> just uh, thanks for watching. And I, mean, uh, I have one, I have one quick, I mean, thing that I'm thinking about, uh, I mean, I don't, it's not hockey related, but it, it is May, it is mental health awareness month. And if anyone who's reached, made it this far in the, uh, in the, in the podcast, anyone who's still list who's still able to listen, like, uh, it's, I mean, this, this stuff, Matt, like this stuff matters. Like it's, it's, it's important. Like it's important. And like, if you're if you're dealing with like it's it's important to like think it's important to like talk about it's important to like uh, uh keep into like it's you, you're not it's important uh, it's, like, it's important and it's nothing and it's nothing wrong yeah that's the thing the biggest stigma around mental health is oh if i go to a therapist or i go do this or if i get meds if i do talk to someone especially the talking to someone part with men who are very against talking about their yeah. feelings. Um, it's, it's very important and it's nothing to be ashamed of, I think is what you were kind of going for. It's, it's stuff that matters. I think you, you kind of hear these athletes that are uh, when you hear about how Dak Prescott is opened up and other ho- and hockey players and you're thing and some people have said like, Oh, like you shouldn't expose weaknesses. This is it, this stuff. It's stu- stuff that matters, stuff that is important, especially in the past year. It's stuff that it's stuff that you, sh- that it's more, it's important to ele- let people know like that you're dealing that it, you're dealing with it. And it's not like something to be taken like lightly. I, I, I think is it. Yep. And I guess that's like my, la- that's something that's been on my mind for since, that may started i and uh that's really like how that's the last thing i don't know if anything else on that note no just thank you for watching um hope to see you next week thank you for uh, watching all right peace